You know, as a people, we love to celebrate firsts, don't we? Uh, we love to celebrate first birthdays. Uh, each of my kids, for their first birthday, got their own birthday cake. Everybody else had to uh, suffer with what was left over. We love to celebrate the first tooth, you know, when it, when it finally comes in. We get excited about the first tooth. And then we celebrate the first tooth loss. We don't celebrate the 30th tooth when it's lost, but we celebrate that first one when that first tooth is lost. We celebrate the first day of school. We don't really like to celebrate the last day of school, but we celebrate that first day of school. And no one ever celebrates the second day of school. By then, we already know what school's all about, and we don't want to go back. We celebrate the first car until we make the first car payment. They don't celebrate that. We celebrate the first day of work, but then the second day we realize that work is spelled with four letters. We don't celebrate that anymore. We celebrate our first anniversary. <laughs> Been married for one year. By the second year, we really can't remember when we got married. And it just goes from there. But as you look at our lives we really do celebrate the first, and we take notice of the first. Thus far in our journey through the book of Genesis, we have seen a good number of firsts. Uh, we saw when it all began in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and that was the first day. As we move through creation, we saw the first man, and we saw the first woman as they were created. And as God created everything, he stood back and said, it is good. In fact, he said, it is very good. And so as creation was underway, as it was beginning, everything was very good. Man and woman had a perfect relationship with God. But then the first sin came into the world. And that perfect sin-free environment that they lived in would no longer be the same. And we saw God in the last couple, three weeks here, we saw God hand out the curses. Death entered into the world, and enmity was between man and God. Everything had changed. This morning, as we continue our journey through the book of Genesis, we come to Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. And as you come to Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, as you find that in your copy of the Scriptures, let's all stand together. And I'll read this out loud, and you can follow along with me in your copy of the Scriptures. Genesis 3, verse 20. God's Word reads this way. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, and knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man at, at the east of the garden of Eden, and he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree 
of life. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, as we look into your word this morning, I I pray that your word would look into us. I pray, Father, that you'd open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us today, Lord. And I pray we would hear from you today, Lord. So just take my mind and my heart and my tongue, Lord God, and allow me to share your truth. Father, I pray that I wouldn't share anything more, and I pray, Father, I wouldn't share anything less either. And so, Father, I pray that when we leave here today, that we'll be able to say that we have heard from you. And, Father, we pray all of these things in your Son's perfect name. Amen. You may be seated. In this passage today, we see God's grace and we see God's mercy on full display. And as we look into this passage this morning, we are going to see the first sacrifice. And as we look at this first sacrifice, we are going to see how this one event set in motion the rest of the events and those events we appreciate today. As we look at this passage of Scripture, there are three headings that we're going to use to kind of lead us through this passage. The first thing we see is Adam's assertion. The second we see is God's provision. And the third thing we see is God's decision. Now, the first thing we want to see and focus on is Adam's assertion. Look with me there in verse 20 of Genesis 3. It says, The man called his wife's name Eve. Now, for the first time, we see her name is Eve. I know as we've gone through this passage and we've gone through this uh, so far, there's been a number of times that I've referred to her as Eve, but that's just because I've read ahead. At this time, this is the first time that we see her mentioned by name. Prior to this, she has just been the woman, all right? She's just been the woman. We saw Adam go from being called the man, Adam, the man, to uh, being named Adam. Not the Adam, but Adam. Now we see Eve being named for the first time. Just as we saw Adam give names to each of the animals, we see him now name Eve. This is a reminder to us and an illustration to us about the headship, the responsibility of headship that Adam has. This is the way it was established as as God laid it out. The curse came to make friction between the husband and wife. But this was God's design. The man was to be the leader. He is to to be the leader of the home. And Adam was no different. And so he's given this responsibility, and he names her Eve. Now let's, let's think about this for a moment, him giving her the name Eve. The word that's used here for Eve means life. The word that's used here for Eve means life. As I read this, a question comes to my mind. Did Adam not read the first part of chapter 3? Because remember the warning that God gave Adam. He warned Adam in Genesis 1, verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
Adam looks at his wife. He knows that she's partaken of the fruit. She knows that God said, do not eat of the fruit or you will die. But he still names her life. They are walking, talking, dead people. But he still names her life. What is wrong with Adam? He remembers this promise. He remembers this promise. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is their instruction. And Adam is hanging on to this instruction. He knows that God has a plan for them. He knows that sin is now entered in and the result is going to be death. But he knows that God has a plan to fill the earth. And so he names her life. Boy, talk about not holding a grudge, right? I mean, if she did this, was deceived, and brought the fruit to you to partake of, wouldn't there be a little bit of a grudge there? Adam is holding on to this promise. Adam is holding on to this promise. Now look at verse 20 as it continues. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. As we look at this passage here, we see the faith of Adam. He remembers that promise in Genesis 1, verse 28. But he also heard the curse. God said if they partook of that fruit, they would die. But the curse serves as a reminder as well. Hidden within the curse is a promise. It says this in Genesis 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's going to be enmity between you, and the, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. That means that she's going to have a child. Remember, her birth pains will be increased. That must mean she's going to have children. Her offspring and his offspring. She is going to have children. In this curse, and in the promise that God has shared, Adam realizes that there's going to be life after them. They are not going to die on the spot. There is going to be life after them. Adam is hanging on to that promise. And notice here in verse 15, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. It goes from speaking about a number to speaking about a single one. Adam realizes 
that there's going to be a deliverer. That a deliverer is going to come. In her line of children, there will be one that will deliver them. It will be her seed. Normally the seed, the credit for the seed is given to the man. It's not given to the woman. But here in Genesis 3.15, this promise of this seed, this offspring, is given to Eve. She's going to be the one who's going to bear this chosen one. And this is a reminder of what we're going to see in the future in regards to the virgin birth. But this deliverer will come. And Adam, as he looks at this, he realizes that. And Adam is looking for and longing for the date that that deliverer will come. He's holding on to that promise. Now, there's kind of a side note here, and I was reading last night, and somebody mentioned this, and, and I hadn't thought about it this way, but it's, but it's so true, and I just want to share it with you. No charge later at all for this. Notice verse 20. He says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Do you know that word all in the Hebrew means all? She is going to be the mother of all children. There was a scientific study done, and they determined that all of mankind is related to two people. (laughs) I could have saved them like billions of dollars and told them that, but I didn't have my name in the right category for job reference. All comes back to two people. That means Adam and Eve are the mother and father of all living people. There are people who have a problem with that. That age-old question, where did Cain get his wife? There are people that freak out about that. We'll talk about that later. But right here shares with us that it all began with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had children, their children had children, their children had children. It all began with Adam and Eve. There was not some pre-Adamic race that was also alive with Adam and Eve, and that's where Cain chose his spouse from. It all began with Adam and Eve. We all are descendants of Adam and Eve. We'll look more at that when we get to Cain, but there you go. As I said, no charge. Now, let's think about this for just a moment. I want us to think about Adam's faith here. As we read this and we move through this, it's one of those things where we just put it in gear and we just kind of stroll through it and we don't think about it a lot. Adam, as he names his wife, life He has great faith here. Remember at this time that Eve is the mother of no one. She has no children. Yet, Adam is holding on to what God has revealed to him. That's all Adam has to go on. 
He's not looking back at Sunday school lessons and reminded of things when he grew up. All right? His grandma, his mom didn't teach him Bible stories and him holding on to those Bible stories. All that Adam has to go on is what God has told him. And what God has told him is that there is going to be descendants that are going to come. They are going to populate the earth. And with that information, even though it hasn't been seen yet, Adam names his wife Life because she is the mother of all living. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Adam believes God. Adam's faith is in God. Adam has learned to believe God. How did he learn to believe God? He didn't obey God the first time. He partook of the fruit. He rebelled against God. He's learned his lesson. He now believes God. Throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, and even today, there is one requirement for salvation that man has to take care of, and that is faith. Without faith, there's no salvation from the man's perspective. Adam exercised faith. We see his faith being exercised because he names Eve life. Death is reigning, yet he names his wife life. He's holding on to the promises of God. Remember Abraham. We read this in Romans chapter 4, verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Adam exercised his faith here by naming his wife Eve. We see the results of his faith. His faith is in the Word of God. His faith is in the character of God. His faith is in what God said. And he said, I'm taking what God said, and we're moving forward with that. Now, there's also a glimpse of Eve's faith here. We don't read anything about Eve rejecting this idea of her being named Eve. We don't see that anywhere. Her faith is in God, and we see her faith in God. Just ahead, Genesis 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived, and she bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She knew God was going to provide offspring. He just did that. Her faith is there in God because He's the one 
who provided this offspring. After Abel's death, we read in Genesis 4, verse 25, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and she called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. She knows that God is the one who is in control of these things. Her faith is in God. Throughout the Old Testament, faith is what is required. Throughout the New Testament, faith is required. In the Old Testament, they're looking forward to Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, they're looking to the cross of Jesus Christ. The church age, where we are now, we're looking back to the cross of Christ. And that's where our faith is. That is man's requirement. That's where our faith must be. That's where Adam's faith is. So this is Adam's assertion. And really, as, as Adam makes this, we see this assertion as an exercise of faith. Now, notice what happens in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife. Remember when Adam and Eve hid from God, when they first sinned against God, and they both realized they were naked and they were ashamed. They went and Adam made fig leaves and he knit those together and they made loin coverings with those fig leaves because of their shame. Adam did that. But notice, this is the Lord who made for them these skins of clothing. Adam did not make this request. God made these coverings. God took the initiative and He made these coverings and He covered them. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. These garment coverings were from the skins of animals. For the first time in the Garden of Eden, we see actual physical death. God alone was the executioner of this animal. God executed this animal. God chose the substitute for their sin. God chose the animal to be substituted. This was a God thing. As we look at this and as we see God do this, there is a picture here of salvation. God is the only one who can make a covering that is adequate to cover sin. 
Adam and Eve, as they made their own coverings, it was not adequate. It was not enough. God Himself made a covering that was adequate. And an innocent animal gave His life for these coverings. For the first time, we see a substitutionary death. The blood of one who was innocent was shed so that the ones who were guilty could be covered. God did this. An innocent animal was killed. Hebrews 9.22 shares this. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. This is an introduction to the atonement and the doctrine of atonement. This sacrifice as well as future sacrifices. As this blood was shed, as this blood covered sin, it was looking forward to the one who would come and who would deliver. Looking forward to the one who would be the final sacrifice, who would shed his innocent blood so that others could be saved so that sinners could be saved. And that one is Jesus Christ. God is the only one who can make a sufficient covering for sin. There are people who say and share, you know what, God and I have something worked out. When you hear that, picture them sewing together their own loincloth because it is an insufficient covering. The only covering that is sufficient is Jesus Christ. He's the only sacrifice that can take our place. He's the only one who can, who can shed His blood that is good enough, that is worthy enough to take away our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, this picture here of this animal is a picture of, of the Lamb that would come, who would be that sacrifice for our sin. Remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he drew the disciples' attention and he said, the one, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world, that is Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of this picture that we see here in Genesis 3. He is the fulfillment 
of that picture. Now, for there to be salvation, there had to be a provision. Because God is holy and God is just. And God shared with Adam that death would be the result. The only way there can be life is if that death penalty was paid. And this animal paid that penalty. The provision was made. And God made that provision for them. I came home the other day, and Darcy and I were talking about this. And as you think about this provision that was made, we don't see what animal this was that God used. But this was an animal that had come by Adam, and he named this animal. He had given this animal this 